Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Michael, if you don't know me. Uh, welcome to Grace Church. Um, we start our Advent series uh, this week. Uh, just trying to talk while this gets sorted out because I feel like I'm in a fishbowl. Um, we're just trying to think about as we approach the season of Advent, getting ready for Christmas, um, what is this good news that, that we've been talking about? How does that impact our day-to-day -day life of buying presents or going to a Christmas party or whatever it might be? Um, just starting off in a slightly random place, we might be able to help me out here. How many meatloaf songs do you have to like until you have to call yourself a fan? I'm asking for a friend, asking for a friend. Uh, it's three, by the way, so this person told me. Do, do you have to call yourself a fan with three songs of the famous Hartlepool United fan, uh, Meatloaf? Um, the, I like three songs, I should say. There's three songs that I like for Meatloaf. Now, I might have mentioned before that uh, me and, and Jim um, used to do quite a bit of DJing uh, for parties and stuff like that. Don't know whether I've mentioned it before. Um, but occasionally we did karaoke not a lot now i feel like we did a really good job if you asked us to dj for like a 21st birthday party or an engagement party i felt like we really you got your money's worth for for the price point we were at there was no better option um for karaoke uh, we 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 did our best but i don't i wouldn't say it is our specialty we didn't do a lot of them um and we sort of built up some rules uh, uh, certainly in my mind, that we learned from various mistakes. Rule number one was being that if it was a bit slow on the uptake, me and Jim starting things off with a duet of Robbie Williams' Angels isn't necessarily the thing that'll get it going. Um, Jim's got a great singing voice. Me, I try and make up for it with a lot of energy. Um, it didn't really uh, go down as well as we might have thought. Secondly, quite often on these karaoke discs we were using, the endings would like just be a long fade out. It would sort of peter out with a whimper. You don't want that when somebody's singing. So we learned what you've got to do is, Jim was working the controls, and normally we didn't do that much stuff on the, on the microphone when we did it, but we had to when it was doing karaoke. So as soon as we knew they'd sang the last note, I would be getting the mic and I would be walking towards a person. Jim would be getting ready the next song to play. And I would be like, oh, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Diane with... California, Hotel California or something like that and take the microphone off them, people would automatically start clapping and that was a strong ending. Third rule is um, try and discourage from people singing meatloaf songs because there's three songs that they want to do, which is the, the three that I like. They're all like really, really long and very difficult to sing um, and they don't tend to go well at karaoke. So combining those two last rules is my worst memory of a karaoke event. I'll be interested to see whether Jim can remember this or whether he's from his memory but somebody wanted to sing meatloaf paradise by the dashboard light that is eight minutes 28 <laughs> seconds long there are long instrumental breaks in the middle of it where nothing's happening and the person's just sort of like there and it's like it's not a good idea and i tried to talk them out of it but they weren't uh, keen on doing it and it turned out this person wasn't the most dynamic performer of karaoke either so I said to Jim, what we're going to do is, uh, the, the, the person's singing, and really it's bringing the atmosphere of the room right down. I want the person to enjoy themselves, but there's no need to do that for eight minutes, 28, because it's, it's going to put other people off singing. So I said, what we're going to do, Jim, is when it gets to this certain point in the song, you fade it out as if it's the end. I'll go in for me strong ending, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> and like just get ready to move on. So we had it planned, we're ready. Jim had the next song ready to, to go. Um, and so I gave him the nod and I said, all right, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. And I normally reach out to get the mic. Jim's done his job. He's faded out. He started the next song. And this woman like grabbed 
mic. It was like, the song hasn't finished. Are you trying to cut me off? And I was like, uh, <laughs> and she was like, I'm going to sing the full song. So I looked at Jim. Unfortunately, like he started the next song. We couldn't remember exactly the point we were at. So we had to start the song again. <laughs> and the person then had to start uh, from the, the very start. Why am I telling all this? I don't know. I've had to cut about 500 words about meatloaf from this uh, talk already. Um, I'll save that for the meatloaf series in the new year. Um, the, the reason why is these three songs that people always want to sing a karaoke and shouldn't. One of them is Paradise by the Dashboard Light, 8 minutes 28. Second one being Bat Out of Hell. The album version's 9 minutes 52. The single's only 7 minutes uh, 19 seconds. And the third one, which is my personal favourite, 7 minutes 41 seconds long, has been chosen by Marks and Spencers this year, a cover of it for their Christmas advert, which we're going to watch now. Now, I absolutely love this advert. I think this is the best Christmas advert there's been for years. I, I like watching them um, every year. I think this is absolutely brilliant. I think that whatever money they paid their marketing department this year has been totally worth it. Marks and Spencer's marketing department have done a brilliant job of what they're trying to do. What you're trying to do with a Christmas advert, you're unlikely to um, get people who don't shop at your uh, shop to, to start coming. Maybe you might get that. It's not really about... It's about raising like just the general awareness of who you are and making your target market think, oh yeah, they get me. That brand, I know nobody's sitting there thinking that brand gets me, but it's, it's giving them that feeling. They think, oh yes, this is, the, this is why I shop at Marks and Spencers. It really resonates with who they are. Now, I think they've done that because I think it looks great. Um, it hits their target market, which I don't know what that is, but like middle class, you know, but it's disposable income. Apparently, those people are celebrities, but they've got celebrities doing things that normal people might do at Christmas, just in a slightly more luxurious way. Like, that's attainable luxury for the person watching it. Um, it's relatable. So you look at that and you think, oh, yeah, I really hate writing Christmas cards as well. I'd love to take a blowtorch to it. Or I'd love to get the elf on the shelf and um, take a baseball bat to it. And even if it's not those things, you think, oh, yeah, there's that thing that I hate about Christmas. And obviously, the song is just a perfect choice, fits in with the theme of what they're going for. Um, it's an absolutely brilliant song that gets stuck in your head. We've been hammering the uh, the meatloaf version on Spotify over the last few weeks in our house. That me and Lisa are now just walking around randomly going, no, I won't do that, um, to, to any question that the boys ask me. Can I play on this? No, I won't. Anyway, I won't start again. Um, so I think this is a brilliant advert. You might not like, I think this is a Christmas advert done well. If you want to see one done badly, it's what Asda have done this year. They've blown all the cash on getting Michael Blueberry and they've had, they've had nothing left to actually pay other actors or to pay anybody to come up with a decent idea of what to do with Michael Blueberry. I think this is brilliant, but I think it's a terrible way to live your life. So what I want to say is enjoy the advert. I've enjoyed it, but don't follow its advice. It will ruin your Christmas and it will ruin the rest of your life. So whether that makes it a bad advert, I don't know. What you might have missed just at the end there is when um, the voiceover comes in, it says, this Christmas, do only the things you love. Do only the things you love. If you don't want to write Christmas cards, take a blowtorch to them. If you don't like the elf on the shelf, take a swing at it. Now, I think that the, this, in, in a certain way, isn't a bad idea. 
I think it's a good idea to be intentional about what you do and don't do. I think a lot of time people just do things because that's what I've always done or that's what somebody expects me to do. I think there's loads of stuff around Christmas that people do sort of begrudgingly because they think they have to. And if they stop doing it, it wouldn't make a lot of difference to anybody. And I think that's a good idea to think about those things. But the person, uh, some marketing person from Marks and Spencers, when interviewed about this, said this. We spoke to hundreds of our customers and they all told us that at Christmas, they feel this pressure of having to worry about and plan so many things. We know it can often feel like the list is never ending. So this year, we decided to celebrate and empower our customers to just do the things they love. Just do the things they love. And I think that quote there explains the heart of the issue that I'm going to try and get at this afternoon. I think it's absolutely fine to do something or not do something and make that decision yourself. But I think the motivation behind making those choices makes a massive, massive difference. That quote tells you there, the motivation is about things and it's about me. I'm only going to do the things that I love. That phrase is basically saying, be more selfish. That's an idea that plays well in our society where we're all about self-care, look after yourself. Saying do only the things that you love is saying be more selfish. It's just a Marks and Spencer type way of saying be more selfish. Might be the Poundland have got be more selfish as their Christmas advert, I don't know. But the problem is if I'm just having a Christmas where I only do the things that I love, what's happened to other people? Like no people are involved, it's things and me. A Christmas where I only do the things that I love is less enjoyable, not more, because it's excluding other people. It's got nothing to do with other people. Now, I don't normally advise um, getting into the comments on any YouTube video. It's a personal rule that I have. I don't read the comments. But I did read some of the comments on this, and some of the people have uh, come up with this, uh, these same criticisms. So, Valentina33 thousand said once again don't forget christmas is all about yourself when someone in your family decorates a christmas tree the moment it starts annoying you throw it away if your grandma bakes you christmas cookies and you don't like them chuck them in the bin you shouldn't be feel pressured to be nice just because she wanted to make you happy let's ruin a holiday that's meant to bring families and communities together because you you matter which i thought was a, a, a nice little interpretation of what they've done or sweet lover 1948 said remember people this christmas only think of yourself don't thank people for gifts don't put any effort into making it magical for your kids don't do any activities with friends or family if you don't want to let's make christmas a loveless selfish time of year because no one is above you so i feel like these people are either being tongue-in-cheek or they've really taken the message to its logical conclusion if you think of your best memories of Christmas, they all involve other people. An individualised Christmas where I only do the things that I love will naturally turn me in on myself. It'll turn me away from other people. Because if I'm only doing the things that I want and you're only doing the things that you want and they, don't, they just don't overlap, then we're going to have to just do it separately. And then that ends with me just sitting on my own, watching only the films that I've deemed to be appropriate as Christmas films, eating only the brand of mince pie that I think is the best. It just ends up with a hyper-individualised Christmas, which doesn't sound good to anybody. It turns Christmas in on yourself. That's a worse Christmas. But worse than that, it's a terrible life. It's a much worse life. And the Bible offers a different motivation. I just want to have a look at Philippians chapter 2, a few verses from Philippians chapter 2, to see what the Bible offers as a motivation. It's on page 1179. 
1,179 if you're looking it up in the, the Bibles that are out and about. And in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Marks and Spencers is saying, do only the things that you love. And the Bible, God's saying to us through his word, love others. That's a very different message. It's the exact opposite of only do the things you love. It's not about you loving things and what are those things. It's about you loving people. It's like, not, not the th what are the things that you want to do? It's what are the things that will help you love other people? How can you put other people's needs and consider their needs more than you're considering your own? Instead of thinking about what the things I want to do and what I don't want to do, I'm thinking less about myself and what are the things that will help me to love this person? Now, I think within that, you can still be making decisions about things that you will and won't do, because we all have to make those decisions. But the motivation is completely different. So it might be that you don't, you don't like churning out a load of Christmas cards and then giving them out to everybody. But maybe you know somebody that would really appreciate a card with a thoughtful message in. So you don't write loads of them, but you just write that one. Or maybe it, like you don't particularly like playing Monopoly, but you love that person. And so when you go around, you're going to join in with it. And when they're around at your house, you're going to suggest something different to do. Maybe it's the elf on the shelf. I don't really have anything for that one. <laughs> but I, I was thinking, trying to think of an example of me. I don't love trailing round shops, with trailing being the operative word. I don't like trailing round shops. I especially don't like it if we have to go back to a shop that we've previously been to on the same trip. That, to me, is the definition of a failure of a shopping trip if you've had to go back. Now, Lisa views it very differently. Lisa thinks you've got to take your time, and you might then have seen what's available, and then you've gone back to choose the best one. Now, I don't love trailing around shops, but I love Lisa, so when I'm there, I'm going to try, try and avoid using the word trailing and just refer to it as shopping. Or certainly now I've said that in public, I'm going to try to avoid using the word trailing next time it happens. Um, looking towards the interest of others is not the same thing as feeling pressured into doing everything that people want you to do. It doesn't mean you have to say yes to everything, because... When you say yes to something, you're by definition saying no, that you can't do something else. So we're always saying yes and no to things. It's, it's not so much about the decision. It's about the process that you've got, gotten through to get to that decision. Looking to the interests of others is being thoughtful and considering like the choices that I make, how do they affect the people around me? If I'm choosing to say no to something that somebody's asked me to do or somebody wants me to do, how can I communicate that in love? How can I communicate that I still love them? I might not say no to this particular thing, but I still love them. I'm not saying no as a person. Now, I think at Christmas, where this often really comes to a head for people is about spending time with family. Because there's competing pressures in there from different parts of the family. And what are you going to do? Where are you going to spend Christmas Day? What are you going to, when are you going to go and see this person? When are you going to do that? Now, before we had children, me and Lisa used to um, have extremely busy Christmas days. We used to be bombing it from one place to the next. 
would get up early, open a few of our own presents, uh, bomb it round to uh, Lisa's mum's house, we'd open a few presents, then go down to church, then go to her grandma's house, then back to her mum's house for our lunch, then back to um, over to my mum and dad's for the afternoon, and then we'd usually do something with her brother on the evening. Like, we, we enjoyed doing that. We weren't begrudgingly doing it, thinking, I wish we, that was just what we liked doing. But then after we had twins, we realized this isn't sustainable. We can't manage this and still survive. So we're going to have to do something different. And so we had conversations with our various family members and did something different. And then that's gone on to change over the years as well as our circumstances have changed. We were saying no to some things or certainly stopping doing some of the things that we'd done before. But I don't think we were coming at it in, we're only going to do the things that we love. Hopefully we weren't doing that. We recognise that our families are increasing numbers of, of people who love each other. We're trying to be flexible with the structures of what we're doing while still just being clear that we're trying to love each other. We're trying to balance honouring our parents with being parents. It's not the same as just saying, I won't do that. It's saying, how can I look after the interests of all of these people? And when I talk about, when I have those conversations about what we can and can't do, how can I communicate love to those people? Now, really, that was very smooth uh, for us. It wasn't a big problem. But I know that for, in a room the size of this, there'll be people where that is a really difficult issue, where there's pressures from different uh, parts of the family and there's possibly conflict that's really, really difficult to navigate. And I don't want to suggest by just rattling off my little story that it wasn't really difficult at all for us, um, that that means it's an easy solution for you. What we need to do is approach it with a, a humble attitude of love, as it's, it asks us to do in Philippians. If I'm having to say no to something, how can I communicate that I love this person? It says in, in verse 5 there, in our relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Jesus always acted in love towards others. Like he never did, he did this perfectly. He never acted in a way to somebody else that wasn't loving. But that didn't mean he did everything that people wanted him to do. People wanted him to do loads of stuff um, that he didn't do. He didn't heal everyone who was sick, who was alive at the time that he was walking around. He spent a lot of time with some people and less time with others. He went to one town, didn't go to another town. He sometimes withdrew into solitude to pray. He rested, he slept. He didn't do everything that was possible to be done. Maybe everything that we might have expected him to do or other people might have expected him to do. But he never did anything from a selfish motivation. He was never saying, well, I'm only going to do the things that I love. What he actually said was, I'm only going to do the things that the, I see the Father doing. Like God the Father had given him things to do and that was to love people in a certain way, to use his time in a particular place at a particular time and that, that's what he did. Now, this shouldn't be news to us, but we're not Jesus. We, we, we're far more limited. We've got far more limited resources, but it's the same principle. The Bible says that God the Father has prepared in advance good works for us to do. That's not everything that is possible to do. There's always something different you could be doing or something else or something extra. The works that God's prepared in advance to me, for me to do will be different to the works he's prepared in advance for you to do. So rather than thinking of ourselves as like unlimited people who can just do everything and just try and keep everybody happy, that's not what we're doing. 
he prepares us, he gives us everything we need for the things that he's prepared in advance for us to do. And so rather than spending my time trying to just, I feel pressurized, I just want to keep everybody happy, or doing the opposite and doing the Marks and Spencer thing of like, I hate that, so I'm not going to do that. Rather than that, rather than spending my time trying to work those things out, we should be spending our time praying and thinking about what it is that God has for us this Advent. Asking for his wisdom to help us make those decisions. It's not like a you do you type of thing, which is what this Marks and Spencer's advert is. But it's you do what God has called you to do. It's a massive difference. How do we know what God has called us to do? Well, that's not always obvious, which is what makes this tricky. But certainly we should be making sure we prioritise times reading his word. It sounds simple, but the reason why Jesus was able to um, know exactly what it was that the Father had him to do was because he was shaped by God's word. When um, being tempted by the devil in the wilderness, how he responds is by quoting the Old Testament. How do we how do we shape ourselves to make the decisions that God would want us to make? We have to be shaped by his word. We should be praying and asking for wisdom. God says that he'd give wisdom to people who ask for it. And so we read his word, we pray, we ask for wisdom, and then we make decisions. We keep our eyes open for opportunities that he might bring us or things that he, he brings along in our path. But we, get, we can have confidence that we, if we're trusting him, that he will provide everything we need for the opportunities that he gives us. And so Marks and Spencer's message to you is do only the things you love. What I want to say that God's message to you this Christmas is to love others. Now, the second thing that I want to mention then is the, 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 the uh, title of the song that they've used there, which fits in perfectly for this, which is, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. And I think maybe this feels a bit better than the message of only do the things that you want to do. Because it's saying, like, you would do anything for love. There's just this thing, this, this one thing that you won't. So I'm willing to stay up all night gluing crafts together, um, but I won't wear party hats. Uh, that's what the, the woman off Ted Lasso was doing. Or Sophie Ellis-Bexter is willing to labour over a fancy gingerbread house, but she won't write cards. Or one of the, the other person who I don't know is willing to play charades, but she won't do Elf on the Shelf. And like, what is it for you? There'll be something else. Oh, I'm willing to do these things, but it's just that thing I, I can't bring myself to do. And again, I think like to a point, that's all right. It's good to have discussions, as I've said, with your family and friends about what you do, and you certainly don't have to do everything. But to say, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that is to say, I won't do anything for love. Like there, there are things that I won't do. So it, it's a, there's, there's no point saying, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Because what you're saying is, I won't do anything for love. Now, a few weeks ago, we had um, an event here at the church for uh, married couples where we um, were spending some time um, with our partners just discussing um, some things. And Ben uh, gave a bit of input on why it's so important to uh, invest in your marriage. And there was something that he said there, which I, I've heard him say before in conversations and in different things, but it's really stuck with me as like a haunting image, which Ben was saying that he's... Um, had conversations with people whose marriages are really struggling and there's something clear and obvious that could be done that could help the situation. And he's been sat there with somebody who's basically just saying, no, I, I, I'm, I'm not willing to do that. And it's this, so I'll do anything for love, but I'm not willing to do that. And like, it's a bit like, yeah, fine, play Monopoly or don't play Monopoly, but this is where it gets really serious, isn't it? Like, 
I'm willing to do anything for love, but there's this thing that I'm not willing to do that, so I'm going to walk away from the marriage. It's a terrifying image. We also do this in our lives as, as Christians. We sing songs that are essentially the equivalent of, I would do anything for Jesus, but oh, I need that money this month. I'm not, I'm not going to give uh, the, the money that he's called me to give to whatever it is. I would do anything for Jesus. I'd follow him anywhere, but I, I'm not willing to prioritize time with other Christians over other things. I've got these other things that I want to do first. If there's anything left over, then I will. I love Jesus. I would do anything for him, but, you know, like, I'd, I'd, I'd like to pray in the mornings, but I'm just so busy and I've just got to get this, these other things done. I'll, I'll start it in the new year. The thing is, none of us, none of us here would do anything for love. There's always saying, like, but I won't do that. Whether it's spoken, whether it's conscious or uh, subconscious, there's always a but. None of us would do anything for love, but there is someone who did. And that's where it goes in, in Philippians. If we pick it up where we left off in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. It describes what Jesus did. Like that's the that's the what we celebrate at Christmas is Jesus making himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He made himself nothing. Like we talking about, oh, are you willing to play Monopoly or not? Are you willing to write Christmas cards or not? This is a bit different. Who's putting their hand up to say, I'm giving up all my independence. I'm going to become dependent as a, a baby. None of us are putting our hands up to lose our independence. That's our worst nightmare about what might happen in the future. Jesus is in very nature God, but he made himself nothing. I think sometimes if we worried about looking to the, when I was talking earlier about looking to the interests of others, we sometimes worried thinking, well, who's going to look out for me? Well, this is who's looking out for you. Jesus made himself nothing for you. He took on the nature of a servant for you. He, he, he took on human likeness for you, out of love for you. There's like a kid's Christian song that I used to sing like growing up in like Sunday school that said, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing that he cannot do. That's absolutely true. But I heard somebody sort of change that up and say about this Christmas story when we see Jesus humbling himself and taking on the likeness of a human, becoming a human baby. Somebody changed the words to say, my God is so weak, so small and so helpless. There's nothing that he will not do. Like if he's done that, there's nothing that he will not do for you. And that's proved in the next verse. Look at uh, verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, he made himself nothing. Humbled himself, he became a baby, and then ultimately he died on the cross. He, he did that all for you. And so this Christmas, this Advent season, what I want us to do, as well as thinking about how we can love others, is to receive Jesus' love, to be loved by him. He was the one who did, like he said, I will do anything for love. He did do everything for love. He loves you. 
So like the strap line of that Marks and Spencer's advert at the end um, is love thismus, not thatmus. Right, you do this and that, love thismus, not thatmus. Now thatmus has loads of enjoyable stuff. Like you can feel free to do it or not do it. But I want to say to you, to, rather than saying do thismus, not thatmus, it's thinking about things, isn't it? It's to celebrate Christmas. Like thatmus has these enjoyable things. Do them or don't do them. But Christmas... Jesus humbling himself for you. That's what brings true, deep, lasting joy. There's loads of stuff about that mess that I think is great, but it's not inclusive. There's all sorts of people excluded from it because of loneliness, because of finances, because of relationship breakdown, because of other reasons. Like, is that is that mess that we've just seen on there accessible to like the Muslims in Bradford that Pete and Becky were talking about? No, it's not. But is Christmas accessible to everybody? Yes, it's for everyone. It's for all people. The news of Jesus humbling himself, making himself nothing. The news that Jesus would do anything for love and did do everything for love. That is a message for everybody. That message is full of everyone sort of jostling for their own interests. Whereas Christmas is founded on Jesus laying down his own interests for us and that empowers us to do the same for others. So I'm just going to, we're at the end here, I'm just going to uh, pause for a couple of minutes to allow us to, a bit of time in quiet to just think about a couple of things. I think Marks and Spencer are saying they want you to be intentional about what you do this Advent and Christmas and, and so do I, so does God. We want to be intentional about how we prepare for Christmas over the next few weeks. And so now we're right at that, it's the first Sunday of Advent um, let's take some time to just really think about this. You might not get much opportunity to sit down and think about these things. So I'm going to give you two things to think about. We'll do them one at a time. So just spend a minute and think about how can I show love to other people this Christmas and try and be specific. You know, maybe think of a few people, whoever comes to mind, think of a few people and think of something specific. Like what is it that I could do to show love to that person? Is it a gift? Is it a message, an invitation, a visit? Like, it could be something big, something small. Just think of a few people. What could I do to show love to that person? So just take a, a moment to think about that. And then secondly, just take a moment to think about how can you receive God's love this Christmas? And again, try and be specific. Is it like, what is it like? It's... it's it's a busy time of year, different things are happening. No, there's all sorts of pressures and demands on your time, as we talked about earlier. Like, what are the things, like the specific things you can do? How can you create space to just remind yourself of um, his love for you, to enjoy that love in the midst of all the stuff that's going on? So take a minute to think about how can you receive God's love this Christmas.